Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get to Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the Get to Vet podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. And I'm Mike Riggs. And uh, so after our uh, successful recording of our first episode, which I thought went way better than our intro video, we decided that we were like, hey, you know what, let's let's uh, tell our stories, you know, so you guys can get to know us a little bit um, and kind of, you know, know where we're coming from. And, and when we say the things that we say, like maybe you'll get a little perspective as to why. So, uh, Mike, you can go ahead and start if you want. Yeah, sure. I'll kick it off. So, uh I'm originally from Parkersburg, West Virginia. I was born and raised there. Kind of a funny story. Uh, my first time on an airplane was uh, when I was two months old, and I never went on another airplane ride until uh, I flew to boot camp in Orlando in September 1991. So, uh, yeah, um, that was uh, September 1991, boot camp in Orlando, went to uh, ETA school, um, made it through that. First duty station was Diego Garcia. Um, wasn't one of my top three duty choices. Uh, the master chief that was running the school at the time said, uh, based on how we finished in the class, uh, we would get our duty choices accordingly. I finished number one. Uh, that was not on my top three whatsoever. Uh, and, uh, I went to Diego Garcia. Uh, let's just say, uh, my geographic skills were lacking. I thought Diego Garcia probably somewhere off the coast of California, obviously San Diego. It was not, it was uh, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, so off I went. Uh, still this day, probably one of the best duty stations I ever served at. I uh, loved it there, spent 14 months. Uh, then went to uh, Siganella, where ironically, I was uh, sitting on an antenna uh, working uh, on, on an electric motor with, it had two large electric motors that turn this 40 foot satellite antenna one for azimuth and one for elevation and just so happens i watched uh, a 53 fly by and a bunch of people jump out the back static line and i asked my chief i was like hey uh i didn't know we had seals here and he's like no nah, dummy uh that's the eod guys and i didn't know i've been in the Navy about five years at that time and i had no idea what eod was I drove by the little sign that said EODMU8 every every day going to work. I had no idea what it was. Uh, I was like, what the heck do they do? And he went ahead and told me. And I thought, wow, I could do this, which I had uh, grease up to my elbows that uh, we used to grease the gears and everything. Or I could go do that. And so uh gave me a little quite a bit of pause at the time and then uh, about that same time my mom she got uh, diagnosed with cancer 
and she would eventually die at the young age of 45, which caused me to put things in a lot of perspective, which, you know, when, when somebody goes that, that young, um, it really starts, makes you prioritize your goals and say, you know, um, if you're going to live your life, you better start living. Um, cause you just never know. So, and, and in times, like if, if you have goals and if you're going to ever achieve those goals, you better start getting after them because you just never know. And so I had this, I still this day have this, um, kind of thought in my mind that I could be this 50 year old man sitting on my porch, wondering if I could have done the EOD program or gone through the EOD pipeline and made it, or I could be this 50 year old man sitting on my porch, wondering that I tried it and I just failed or because, you know, the funny thing is for me, you know, I'm, I'll self-admit, uh, I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of loud noises and I'm scared of the open water. So that's another reason why I wanted to go to EOD because I figured it definitely involved, uh, getting over those three fears. One of the three biggest fears or three of the biggest fears I have. So I figured I could just go and try to conquer those three all at once. And, uh, so it was a personal challenge there of staying uncomfortable. So, uh, why not, you know, so there was also the extreme crazy off chance that I could be that 50 year old man sitting on the porch going, you know what? I don't know how I ended up here, but somehow I did. Um, and you know, here in about a year and a half that that's actually going to happen. So, uh, but anyway, in 2000, 1999 or 2000, I ended up, um, going to dive school and, uh, you know, I, obviously I ended up, uh, making it through the pipeline and then uh i'll let you go ahead and tell your story on how you ended up kind of and the way we ended up meeting up that way awesome yeah thanks so i guess <clears throat> for me my uh my whole thing with the military really began when i was a troubled youth uh i grew up in fairmont west virginia uh, about two two and a half hours from where mike did and, um, you know, I just, I wouldn't really doing anything in high school. I didn't care. It's not that I couldn't have done anything. I just didn't really care about, you know, so I had the typical like disillusioned teenager, like whatever. And my mom, you know, was like, yeah, I don't know what to do with him. And, you know, so we found this program, which, I kind of credit with turning my life around. I, uh, it's called the Mountaineer Challenge Academy. And it's basically for kids that were just like me, kids 16 to 18 that dropped out of high school and, um, you, you know, kind of really weren't going anywhere. And it's, it's basically like six months of army boot camp with school. And so, you know, cause my mom threatened me with military school and then she showed me this, uh, the Fork Union Military Academy, which isn't too far from us here in Virginia. And I saw that and I was like, that's awesome. I want to do that. Let's do it. Come on. And then she was like, that's $8,000 a year. Shit. He called me on my bluff. And <laughs> so then she found the, the Mountaineer Challenge Academy and 
uh, I was like, okay, whatever. I went there. They called me the geek when I got there because I had these big, thick rimmed like glasses. They were like Buddy Holly type glasses. So my nickname there was the geek. I was, you know, 110 pounds soaking wet. And, you know, I, I think uh, I went up there and <clears throat> I think I started kind of living up to my potential, at least a little bit anyways. Um, went through the program, graduated at the top of the class. And the time, my time spent there, you know, I was surrounded by all these people who were vets, that all the instructors there were veterans. And I just like, I was like, wow, these people are great. And I really connected with them. And I think that's kind of what got me into wanting to join the military. Of course, I was 17 years old. I was like, I want to join the Marine Corps and go blow shit up. And, um, you know, a lot of people were like, you're really smart. You got this really whatever high ASVAB score you should go do this. So I ended up, you know, going to talk to the Navy recruiter. I let my family talk me out of, you know, joining the Marines and going into the infantry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I went into same field as, as Mike did the, they call it the advanced electronic computer field. And instead of being an ET, I was a fire controlman FC. So we work on radars, fire systems, all that, um, you know, went through school, did that, you know, got through, got to the, uh, I was on the USS Enterprise for four and a half years. That was my first duty station. And that's, I was actually coming home from my first deployment when 9-11 happened. Uh, I was laying in my rack and the captain came over the, the intercom, we call it the 1MC, and said, hey, you know, we're turning around and uh, heading back to the Gulf because terrorists just attacked the U.S. And so I... <laughs> I was all groggy. You know, I worked the night shift. I woke up. I had no idea what was going on. And we stayed out to sea for 95 days. And <clears throat> there was uh, on aircraft carriers, there's EOD guys on there. And I thought, wow, that's cool. Like, what, what, what are those guys doing? They're like, oh, yeah, they, you know, disarm bombs. And, you know, they jump out of planes and do all this other cool stuff. And I was like, that sounds like fun. And so that got the wheels spinning in the back of my head. And after, you know, we came back from that deployment and spent 16 months in the shipyard, uh, which is not a good time. I did my second deployment. And the first thing I did was go meet up with the EOD guys that were there. And I said, hey, how do I become an EOD tech? And so, um, you know, the guy who, you know, recruited me, who later became my LPO on my first team, uh, he, you know, helped me get through, get my package through the screening. And, you know, I didn't know anything about how to swim or whatever. So I had to, I had to go learn like all these strokes because my swim times were atrocious. Um, but I PT'd with them every day without fail. I was there every day. We did it in the hangar bay. There was a group of us that were either going to EOD school or buds or dive school. And we just PT'd for like an hour and a half every day. And I loved it. And that got me really excited again to go to do, go do what I originally wanted to do in the military, which was jump out of planes and blow shit up. And so, you know, I went over to Mobina 2 to be a wannabe. We call it the Mud Pups, which is great. You just basically you're supposed to go hang out with all the teams and learn stuff from them. Really, you just end up getting beat down for about six to eight hours a day. So you're in really good shape. Um, but you know, I, I learned a little bit there too. And I, the cool thing was, is I got to meet a lot of people that I would later come back and just know, cause it's like, Hey, I remember you when I was a mud pup. Um, 
So some good, some bad, but uh, yeah. So that for me, that's, that's kind of where I went to dive school. And then, um, you know, that's, it's kind of like, well, I think we're, where our stories started to merge between me and Mike. Yeah. So I want to back up just a little bit. Like when I was in high school, I can remember my classmates joining the military when I was a, uh, you know, <clears throat> junior, senior high school and folks that were applying for ROTC scholarships. And I can remember distinctly thinking, what in the hell are you doing? Why would you expose yourself to that? And it wasn't until uh, it, I, I was in my freshman year in college and was really adrift in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And one of the things my grandfather said to me, it really started to resonate. He'd been killed in a farming accident the year, uh, the year that I graduated high school. It was actually the year it was actually the week I came back from my senior trip, a tractor rolled over on him out of our farm. Um, but he had said to me one time, if you ever find that you don't have any direction in your life, join the military. And he had been in World War II and was in the Navy. And he said specifically, join the Navy because in the Navy, you're always going to have a roof over your head and you're going to have three hot meals every day. And I can't tell you how many times in Afghanistan or Iraq, I would sit there and look up at the stars in my night vision goggles and eating like a, a, a cliff bar or something like that. And I would just snicker and laugh and think about my grandfather. Of course, he never would have imagined the crazy stuff that we ended up with, you know, doing, but uh, I mean, I always thought about him. And the other thing was, I remember the first day at boot camp after getting there probably at what 10 o'clock and then they make you do the urinalysis and then you wake up in the morning and then they they must you outside to march and then go to chow uh that first breakfast i i remember distinctly in my head going i don't know what the hell i just got myself into but i've made a big mistake and i gotta figure how the hell i gotta get out of this but you know and then probably about an hour or two later some resilience starts getting in your head and you start thinking like come on, man, this isn't that bad. You know, the better, the better part of your, you know, your brain gets in and, and you, and you start figuring it out and, uh, and, and you get a little confidence, but, uh, and of course, 29 and a half years later, here I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, there for a while, it wasn't for me, but there's, there's no way I would have ever survived in my hometown because almost all the industry has gone there. Uh, I never would have been able to live my, live with myself, uh, surviving on the nepotism that would have got me my career in the factory or whatever uh, that it takes to to survive or thrive in that in that environment. So uh, it definitely gave me the opportunities to 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 get here. And one of the things you touched on, where was I at? You know, during 9/11, I had graduated dive school two days prior, and I had the intention of. Uh, getting up that morning, putting on my whites and checking into UD school. And I did. It just got kind of a little bit interrupted watching the news that morning. I eventually put on my whites and drove down uh, State Route 20 there in Florida and checked into EOD school where I got my butt chewed by uh, now, now retired Senior Chief Jewel, uh, who was, uh, tore me up. You know, haven't I been watching the news? What do you think you're doing? I'm like, oh senior, I'm just here to check in. I didn't think the military shut down over something like this or so, you know, something along those lines, but, uh, 
he was eventually a, a GS employee when I was back there as a command master chief. And it was pretty funny. I, I give him crap about it all the time, but uh, yeah, yeah, I was, that was an interesting day. I still remember that. And uh, I would always tell that story to students when I would run the NDOC class in my little NDOC speech, you know, how, how dynamic the EOD community and the mission shifted from, from that day forward, how, you know, what I thought the EOD community was initially going in, you know, kind of the, you know, the dive, jump, run, swim, shoot guns club to, uh, well, guess what, fellas, we're the tip of spear now. Uh, shit's about to get real. So, uh, and it did. It got real pretty quick. So, and it was great. And we, we got really relevant really quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know it, it definitely grew in prominence. Uh, and I, I think I kind of came in right at the, the right time there. And, you, you know, you're talking about boot camp, but I guess for me, it really wasn't that big of a shock because I had already been through that, you know, stuff at the Mountaineer Challenge Academy. But, you know, kind of the same thing. If I would have stayed there, that, uh, you know, that probably would have been it for me. I, you know, my, my generation and my family were the first ones like on mass that didn't just go work in the coal mines, you know, my dad and his brother and, you know, everybody around that age, of course, they all got drafted and, and went to Vietnam and they came back and did some stuff and they all ended up in the coal mines. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, my dad got laid off for the coal mines when he was 47 years old. So he, took took money to go back and from the clean air act and went back to school and learned to work on aircraft he's like you know what i'm just going to go pursue this other opportunity i'm not going to be one of those guys that sits around and wait for the union to to call me back to work um so funny story before i joined the navy because i just had my good enough diploma um we (laughs) i had to take some college classes i had to get 15 college credits to come in and so the the school there in my hometown now it's Fairmont State University used to be Fairmont State College. I, I had to go take classes there. And that, that summer before I joined the Navy, I had an algebra class with my dad. And we told everybody we were brothers. And, and then one day, the, the teacher, I sat right in front of him. And it was funny because he would be studying all night for a test really hard. And I would go out and party like a 17-year-old would. And we come in the next day and, you know, I was all messed up and <laughs> he had been studying all night and he would get like a 94 on the test and I would get like a 92 <laughs> and I would fall asleep in class. He'd be like, you better get your dad going act together, man. And people were like, geez, you talk to him like you're his dad. And so the, the day that the teacher finally found out, <laughs> they were like, oh, no. But, um, you know, same, yeah, man, I, I credit the military with putting me where I am today. I feel like it kind of gave me that sense of purpose that I needed and, and direction to get me into, you know, where I am today. And, and I don't think I would be where I am today if it weren't for that. So I guess now we can, now that we both got to the point in our careers where we, we went to EOD school, um, <clears throat> if you want, you can go ahead and, and talk about kind of where our paths uh, merged together. Yeah, so uh, I'll tell the funny story how I ended up actually at Mobina too. So uh, I uh, I got back from uh, Djibouti deployment and I just made chief on that deployment. And I got back and I put in an overseas uh, 
extension. Oh, it's uh, overseas tour incentive extension program or something along the lines. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but I put it in the CMC's inbox sometime around March of 2005. And I'm still this day kind of fascinated on how this all worked out for him, but uh, he ended up doing a year long IA as a CMC. Uh, and now I'm on my third CMC tour. I don't, I'm still fascinated on how he did that. And, but he did. But uh, I got back from that deployment right around mid-October, mid-early October, and the operations officer pulled me in, and he said, "Chief, got great news for you. I got you're gonna you're gonna have your own platoon." And uh, I said, "Oh, that's great." So he went and showed me the roster, and uh, and they said, "Well, guess what? You're gonna take this platoon." And you're going to go back to Djibouti in six months and uh, for another summer deployment. And uh, that, that didn't quite sound appealing to me at all. So I took the chance. I went back towards the CMC's office and there was a stack of blue folders. It was probably almost two feet tall. And I kind of did a little bit of CSI and guessed on where my request was in that stack, two foot stack at about, you know, towards the beginning, the, the foundation of the stack. And I was almost spot on where it was at. And I grabbed it. It was still there. It had been there for over six months in his inbox. It never been processed. So I took it and I shredded it. So it never would get processed. And then I called the detailer and uh, said, hey, hey, Master Chief, uh, uh, I need to get orders. And he's like, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're supposed to transfer, like, now. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I do. And uh, he said, uh, well, I've got Moby in it. And I said, I'll take it. I didn't even tell you the number. I said, <laughs> I don't care. As long as it's not eight, I'll take it. And he's like, okay, well, you're going to Moby in it too. And I'm like, fine with me. I'm gone. And then I went in the ops office and uh, told him that I was going to transfer. And so he, he did me a solid and I'd only been, I'd been gone for seven months. And so three weeks later, he sent me to Azerbaijan to do humanitarian demining for three more months. And then I came back and had five working days to transfer to Mobina two. So that's how I ended up at Mobina two. And uh, on, on an NSW platoon, Naval special warfare platoon, uh, as a chief, which I had never done that mission before, and had, and we had, uh, we had four basic techs. Yeah, you had. Uh, well, let's see. You had four. me, Scott. Um, of course, the the guy who ended up not being on the platoon, but then uh, we also had Carl, Ian, Brian, Taylor, and your and boy Nick. Yep. Yeah. And. Uh, so I, I think you know, me and Scott, uh, like I always like to tell, I think I, I said that in Scott's memorial speech. It was like, yeah, we went to Moby Unit 2 where we became Mike Riggs's penance for something he must have done at some point in his career. I think that's why that's why God gave me two daughters, because uh, yeah. the Lord has a sense of humor. Yep. <laughs> and that's, and that's what... Yeah, so I, that's, I went to EOD school. 
you know, orders came up. I knew there was a couple of younger dudes that really wanted to go to mobile unit eight. And I'm kind of glad it worked out that way. I was like, well, I'll let those guys go. I already have a house in Virginia. I already know all the guys at mobile unit two, cause I was a mud pup there. And, you know, so I got me and Scott got there and we, we checked in and um, they said, yeah, you guys are going to be on the same platoon. And then there was a couple other guys that we were in school with that they put us on that platoon with. And we were like, son of a bitch. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, so the rest was there. We were, we were pretty typical pain in the ass, maybe a little bit more than average pain in the ass new guys. And, and I always, I tell people that I'm like, I could just imagine uh, the phone calls that Mike would get, like when we we're out there doing workups and they're like, you know, one of like Trevor, what did he do this time? Right. And then, you know, like Scott, you can just stop right there. I don't need to hear anymore. <laughs> and, and, uh, so yeah, that was, <laughs> it was interesting. It was an interesting tour. Uh, the, it, it, the other thing didn't help either was you would hope when you arrive at a place you're not really familiar with, like, like Little Creek. I was not in the in crowd at Little Creek because I, I was an outsider coming from Siganella. Uh, and there was a mission that I wasn't very familiar with at all. And you would hope that you would have the ability to reach out to the other LCPOs that are ahead of you in the training cycle and get some of that mentorship and knowledge imparted on, you know, given to you or, you know, uh, get some shepherding along in the process in which that was, uh, that was, that was bad because the one in particular that was directly ahead of us, in the pipeline, mm. I would learn the hard way to whatever he told us to do or whatever he, whatever advice he gave me to do or, or would impart. If I did 180 degrees of what he would recommend, I was, I was way better off <laughs> because chances are he was falling on his face, you know, that, and we, we won't even go there, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, that was uh that was a very interesting time. And, and that was also, I mean, people should know that was 2006 to 2008 and that was during the surge time. So, uh, mm -hmm. and we were going to Iraq, so it was, it was real. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it was, it was, it was a good time. I, yeah, I still have fond recollections of my, <laughs> my first big mish and yeah, good times. But, um, you know, I think that, that was good because, you know, that's that's kind of where you and I first met. And then, you know, time went on and, you know, we just saw each other. We worked with each other here and there. And I would see you and you'd see me as we kept going through and, and doing stuff. And then, you know, I think maybe we can fast forward now to, I think, an event that's, uh, you know, for me is still a little... Uh, I get choked up a little bit when I talk about it. And this is kind of what I view as, as the beginning of me being where I'm at today. And that was, um, you know, Thanksgiving of 2016 um, when, a, you know, one of my best friends and, you know, one of our former teammates, you know, he was my partner in crime as a new guy. He was the, the dude that me and him used to argue <laughs> with each other and, and was, you know, the other side of me being a huge pain in the ass to you, um, Scott Dayton, 
um, was was killed in action in Syria. And I still remember that I was, you were actually the first person I called to let him know after I had gotten like four or five phone calls, um, you know, sitting on my mother-in-law's back porch after Thanksgiving dinner and we were just talking and stuff. And, and I got like four or five text messages from people all at once. Like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry about Scott. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I, I got on, on Facebook messenger and I was like, Hey, are you all right, bro? And um, yeah, I think, a uh, couple of guys that we work with both called me and were like, Hey man, um, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, but Scott's gone. And I just started bawling. I, I just burst into tears right there, right in the middle of everybody sitting there having a good time and enjoying some after dinner drinks. And I just started bawling my eyes out and I couldn't talk. And everybody's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And I, I couldn't even say it. I didn't have the air in my lungs to do it. And, and so probably about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes later, everybody kind of went inside and I was like, I'm fine. I just need to be alone for a little bit. And, you know, that's when I called you and I was like, Hey man, I, I don't know how to say this or whatever, but you know, Scott's gone. And, you know, I start to get even a little bit choked up talking about it right now because, you know, that was a dude that was one of my best friends. We, we did, you know, our, our first team together. We were in school together. We, you know, did all kinds of stuff together. We worked really closely throughout our careers. And that that really hit me pretty hard because I thought like, hey, yeah, there's this group of us that we're all going to be, you know, dirty old men together and you know, I think a, another friend of ours had said it best. And he's like, I think the, the worst part about this is, is that we thought we had all made it right. Because we had endured years and years of just on and off again, deploying. I mean, like literally there was about a six year period of my life where I was home for six months, deployed for six months. I was just going in and out the door. And, um, you know, when I kind of got towards the end there, I thought like, okay, yeah, we're all, you know, he was going to come home and retire and, and, you know, we were all, and so that, that's really kind of what I think began my journey right now. Cause I, you know, this is kind of like what drives me and my sense of purpose is, you know, if you knew Scott, he was one of those guys that he was very much about brotherhood. Um, you know, the, I think, which is, I think something that a lot of us craved. It's kind of why we left the fleet to come into a place where you didn't have to worry about, you know, people stabbing you in the back to get ahead or anything like that. And, um, so that kind of became like my mission is like, how do I help to reinstill that sense of brotherhood that a lot of us older guys felt like was kind of waning in the community? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember that day too. I was at my dad's down in uh, Southern Florida, just South of Tampa at his house when you, when you gave me that call and uh, yeah, Scott was my teammate in Iraq when we did that deployment. So not only was I his first chief, I was his first teammate. So yeah, that one hit uh, exceptionally hard. Yeah. And uh, yeah, between him and, and Nick and all, uh, yeah. cause we, we were mud pups together too. So yeah, you know, uh, and it, it, it's completely, you know, in line with what you're saying, you know, and, and I've noticed that having spent time away from the community, especially in the last year when I did some time up in DC, um, you really, 
really notice and we sometimes will we get a little spoiled i think we just we get a little spoiled by who we get to work with and who we get to work around and not to take anything away from the folks i work with up in dc it's just a different it's different because they're extremely they're extremely intelligent and very capable up there where the folks i work with not to take anything away from them but you just get you get used to being around folks that you don't even have to say anything to them and they just understand where you've been and understand just in a sense of understanding and the brotherhood that that you just don't get when you're when you're somewhere else and and that just it's just it's sometimes hard to it's difficult to put into words but it's it's even more difficult when you're not around it anymore and and it's things like that that people really need to come to grips with and really understand uh on their way out or as they're getting ready to get you know on their way out to understand that part and either try to make ways to reach back or stay in touch with or 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 find some way to make that connection because uh that's that's really like you said i mean that's what draws draws us in and you know and it's you know like we say we just like the folks we were talking to like you put me in touch with yesterday you know which we all share that like-minded mindset you know and and it's just almost it's it's just unspoken you know the the bond that we have having shared those certain experiences those folks during some of the best of times and the worst of times and and i don't know i don't know how else to put it in context i mean it just it's it's just uh it's hard to you know it's it's like a roller coaster you know is 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 really kind of a metaphor and it's kind of the way my eod career has been it's been it's been it's been awesome at times and then sometimes it's just been really shitty like losing scott you know Mm -hmm. and i you know i i think that's that's why i'm excited to do this because this is this is what i like what we're trying to do here with this i i think is going to be awesome and i hope it you know kind of you know, hopefully it affects a lot of people in a positive way. Hopefully people get some good information out of this and hopefully we help people out kind of like, you know, like I did with you introducing you to the, to the folks that you've been talking to. Um, and we could do that to more people. Cause that's, that's definitely a topic we'll cover, you know, in one of our episodes, uh, when we talk about networking, but, um, really, you know, we'll have the informational episodes and the subject matter experts. I'm, I'm really excited to start getting a lot of transitioning service members on here and, and let them tell their stories kind of like, like we told ours today. And, um, and cause that's, you know, just, uh, I'm, I'm to that point now where I'm like, Hey, you know, what, I, I pursue fulfillment now a lot more than money. Like, yeah, I'd like to make money and I, and I do in, in my other work. Um, but you know, for me particularly, I, I, I pursue fulfillment above all else right now because I just, you know, who wants to be depressed and have a lot of money? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm comfortable and, and, and I have fulfillment, you know, so to me, I, I think that's, that's really important. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to us doing a whole lot more of these. Yeah, me too. I mean, that, that part of the part of my military career that I enjoyed the most was the operational side 
of being the EOD tech. And the second part was the, the command master chief part and watching folks, you know, like you and, and other folks succeed and, and really get after it and flourish in your career and being able to be a part of this, I think, and, and help foster folks and shepherd them along, you know, and be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm along for the ride too, you know, retiring, ne you know, next year. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a guinea pig in this whole science experiment as well. So, yeah. And, well, and uh, you can be kind of the benchmark for success then. Yeah, and, almost, and yeah. we could, you know, and then after you retire, we'll have to get an intern to be our guy who's going through the transition. So it sounds like a plan. Yeah. But, you know, I, I hope, you know, that, that shepherding and, and that, you know, giving back and, and, you know, I absolutely hate getting awards. You know, I, I always steal them off of the Wyans desk, but I absolutely love getting up there and promoting folks and giving those awards out. So, you know, that's the part of this that I really like and I'm really looking forward to is watching those folks succeed and having those great transitions and, and really getting out there and knocking it out. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I think that's, that's good. Uh, we, we did talked about a lot of stuff today and, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and, and end this for the day, but we're, we're going to start uh, knocking out some more of these uh, shows to put up whenever we can. Um, hey, you know, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, uh, check out our YouTube channel when it gets up, uh, you know, subscribe to that as well and hit the little bell so you get notifications whenever, you know, we put out new content and um, yeah, connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, hit us up. Uh, my email is Trevor at get vet.net and Mike's is Mike at get vet.net. And we're excited to hear from everyone else out there. So thanks a lot and have a good one. Look forward to hearing from you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, Email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net. And let us help you get to vet.